Hi, everyone. Uh, we're here with a, another edition of the Defiance Weekly Recap. This is a um, this is a special episode because we'll have two guests on. Uh, we'll have Declan um, Declan Fox from uh, Linea, a new CK EVM, uh, which is about to launch soon, and um, the uh, focus of this week's uh, crypto Twitter drama. Uh, Miguel Morel, the founder of Arkham uh, Intelligence. Uh, so those two guests will be coming up. Uh, but uh, to start, let's um, let's focus on the latest news, uh, the biggest news of the week. Um, and uh, well, I'm Kami, uh, the founder of the Defiant, and we have uh, Jeremy and Owen, uh, staff reporters here um and yeah let's let's get started uh this week was huge for markets um uh, because there was news on this uh you know just one of the biggest uh, cases uh, re uh, involving crypto uh, of all time uh, with ripple uh, owen you you did the story on the, the market reaction um after uh, the uh, US judge said Ripple is not a security, um, why was it uh, received so well? So lot, lot to unpack, uh, much of which, which uh, my lack of legal training doesn't allow me to unpack um, <laughs> as of yet. Um, but super high level, the SEC went after Ripple Inc., uh, Brad Garlinghouse, and one other man whose uh, name escapes me in 2020. And they were suing the SEC at a high level for offering unregistered securities. There are a lot Ripple. of suing, suing Ripple, excuse me. Um, and so, um, so that's been ongoing kind of in the background and then it, it came out that this district judge um, ruled that at least one of the ways with which XRP was sold into the the public markets was did not constitute a uh, investment contract, which would mean XRP um, is a security, from my understanding. And markets loved it. We had Ripple up. Like it was like 75% in a day. And, you know, I haven't seen that since 2017. So yeah. major, major, major move upward on that. And we're still seeing the fallout. I think there's going to be a lot of, I think, you know, lawyers are digesting this and trying to understand the nuances of the judge's ruling. The SEC is anticipated to, uh, appeal the judge's decision um so there are a lot of moving parts and we'll, we'll we're still you know i think this definitely merits at least one follow-up story to see how you know wh where exactly we're going from here what this means um but obviously the crypto market as a whole thought it was extremely bullish and you know you have the whole crypto market up five percent in the past 24 hours to 1.3 trillion and, you know, in, in addition to assets like XRP up still 30%, Solana up 15, Cardano 10 still. And so a, a lot of these coins were 
listed as securities in some of the lawsuits that the SEC has levied against Binance and Coinbase. And so I think a lot of these were these tokens were riding the wave where it's like, okay, if the district judge in Southern District of uh, which is like a very reputable, um, I think, financial court circuit um, or jurisdiction. Um, yeah, so they're all kind of riding this wave. They're like, well, if, you, if, if Ripple isn't a security or at least like one of the main ways with which Ripple enters the market isn't a security, we're not either. And the market is betting on that. And we're seeing, you know, insane 2017 like pumps coming out of that. So I don't know what you guys thought, but that's, that's, that's my high level summary. I mean, just amazing mm-hmm. to see how everyone was ready. Everyone was so ready. Like everyone <laughs> dove in after this. So yeah. surprising. I think it's, it's what, what, what you think that um, the take was like, if Ripple is not a security, then nothing is um, because, yeah. you know, the, um, there's this whole interpretation of the how we test um, and how if there's a centralized entity issuing tokens and there's an expectation of profit from the work of that entity, then it's a security. It's kind of what the, you know, crypto has been um, playing by. Like those are the unspoken, semi-spoken rules uh, that crypto has been playing with. And, um, and in this case, you know, there's Ripple Labs, there's a centralized entity, uh, it controls the supply of XRP, um, it sold uh, Ripple to uh, investors uh, and uh, on uh, via uh, ex- uh, exchanges. Um, and that apparently the sale of XRP on exchanges wasn't uh, a sale of security. So this is just a big relief to exchanges uh, themselves. I mean, that's one of the biggest winners uh, of this case, um, if it actually, you know, it holds up uh, and so on. Uh, but I think exchanges are one of the biggest winners of this case because um, uh, this uh, ruling is saying the sale of tokens doesn't matter how centralized they are, if, even if they're as centralized as XRP, uh, does not uh, constitute a, a, a securities sale uh, or trading, um, and and yeah, it's it's a relief for uh, for token uh, teams uh, projects uh, which have issued tokens themselves as well, uh, and I think it's just like was a big sigh of relief across crypto because you know, like we've been covering all year. This this year has been so heavy on um, a regulation that is aimed to crack down on crypto. And finally, we get this uh, positive ruling. And so the market has reacted accordingly. So basically, the entire marketplace has been waiting for judgments uh, mm-hmm. from, you know, to, to get some light on how this is going to be uh, going down in terms of the regulatory state and status of these tokens. And if we look at like Kick and Telegram, which are cases where we also had token issuances that were like 
packaged together as one same big package of securities, not separating the tokens from the offering. This is different. This is where like in a Howey test where they said, hey, the oranges are separate from the contracts on the futures for the oranges. You know what I mean? So this this might actually open up some of the um, some of the interpretations. Uh, it remains to be seen. Um, uh, the idea that you could have an institution separate the token issuance from the securities offering uh, might free up other institutions to be able to utilize digital assets. Um, also, it's a good thing to see that judgments are coming through because we've been waiting for years from some clarity. The regulatory institutions do not appear to be positioned to be able to provide that clarity. So by seeing judgments come through, particularly with this case with Ripple, I think it does. It breathes a little bit of uh, hot air into the balloon that lifts all boats, right? Mm -hmm. well, yeah. There's an analogy there that works with what I said, I promise. <laughs> yeah, the hot air with the boats. Uh, but, but yeah, we get the point. <laughs> um, hot air, yeah. the sails, the boats. The boats are going to something. Listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, you know, th this, this was the, 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 like I said, like the biggest, uh, case in crypto uh, that we've been waiting for, um, ruling, uh, this, and then the, the Coinbase, uh, case that, you know, we've seen developments just recently. Um, but yeah, like Jeremy was saying, it does bring a, a, a bit of clarity, uh, on where exchanges stand um, and uh, it, it really goes against what um, the SEC has been uh, signaling and, and saying. Um, so, you know, I, I think that the question now is kind of uh, where does the, the ball stand? Like the, uh, what happens with, um, when a uh, court's ruling conflict with uh, with the SEC's, um, uh, you know, enforcement yeah, uh, so, so much. Yeah, yeah. those enforcement what, won't be able to be uh, enforced. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, and that's what Caitlin Long, who you had on the podcast, Cami, said as mm -hmm. much saying that, you know, I mean, now you need the third I mean, now you need legislation, right? Because it seems, I feel like it seems very evident with this ruling that there isn't clarity. I, I, mm -hmm. I would hazard to say that considering what the judge ruled. So it is interesting that I saw a couple of people saying that this is good for the push on the legislative side to try to establish some clarity about how to yeah. regulate digital assets. So we can have policy via judgment or policy via settlement or policy via legislation. And I think we're at the point now where legislation is the process that we're looking at. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I mean, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So um, what, what, I mean, what do you guys think? Like, uh, was this, uh, it, it seemed to be very, unexpected from the market reaction uh, oh, yes. because right like usually in crypto we see just like a run-up uh, before the news actually happens um, like the market starts to price yeah. things yeah, in yeah. Uh, and then when we actually get the news then there's like a bit of profit taking in this case I mean yeah like I, I was showing the chart the ripple chart before let me uh, share it again um, but 
it just, you know, from, from the, the market action, it seemed to be completely unexpected. Like it was, if, if you look at this, it was just like this flat line um, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> relative, yeah, yeah. To, relative to the big jump that happened on, on the ruling. So it was just, the market is saying they were completely unprepared um, for this. So I wonder if there are funds out there, traders who saw this coming and were well positioned uh, ahead of this. Like, I don't know who the... Um, the big winners are uh, on on kind of the, the the trading side. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah, it'd be interesting if there were smart traders out there who were trading based on legal news. It would be interesting to get a hold of someone who is watching watching the legal proceedings because some of these things, you know, you don't even know they're happening, and all of a sudden there's a hearing in California that decides the fate of crypto in in ten years, you know, or for the next ten years or something. And, True. You know, yeah. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to talk to someone like that. Yeah, we, we shall see. Um, all right. So let's let's move on to the next headline, uh, which is Eigenlayer. Um, we had the Eigenlayer founder here on, 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 the, uh, on this show um, a few weeks back. Uh, and he explained um, all the intricacies on how Eigenlayer works. But... Uh, it, I mean, it's it's just blowing up right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I can take that one. Mm -hmm. um, just uh, yeah, it, it was it was wild to see they they launched last. I think it was maybe two weeks ago with I think a nine thousand six hundred dollar or six hundred ETH cap for three different LSTs, and then they just raised the cap to thirty thousand this week, and then immediately we're like that it filled up, and then they jumped it up to forty five. So um yeah kind of uh yeah. just a a wild a wild development and like you know you don't whatever it's a kind of a bear market so you don't but and then you realize you know like with the price action people are still watching you know people, yeah, are, yeah. people are ready to fill that thing up in an hour yeah so, things are picking up yeah. um and so with that let's uh let's welcome our guest uh who is uh on um, Declan, hi, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, so, uh, Declan, as, as we said in, in the intro, um, is the um, he's uh, leading the, the development of Linea uh, Consensus CK EVM. Uh, Declan, welcome to the Defined Weekly Recap. Hi, hi, thanks for hosting me. Nice to see you all. Hey. Yeah, great to have you. Yeah, so great to have you. So, um, you know, uh, layer twos, uh, roll-ups, uh, such a crowded space. Um, and but but consensus is obviously you know a, a player to watch. So, uh, would be great to get uh, from you, you know, like the the just like the, the basics of of linear, um, and how is it uh, different uh, from other roll-ups out there. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, there was a lot of roll-ups, uh, ZK roll-ups. So, you know, it's important to understand why do we need another one? Um, and there's kind of three three main reasons. So, you know, Linear is aiming to be a type two ZK EVM. So it's going to be fully EVM compatible. This is great because if you're a developer with an existing application on, say, Ethereum or another EVM chain, it's extremely easy to switch to Linear and get all the scalability benefits of layer two. Also, if you're a Solidity developer and you want to build a new dApp, 
as well on layer two, like all the tools just work out of the box. So it's extremely great from a developer's perspective, which is awesome for kind of unlocking new use cases. Um, the second thing that's really quite special about Linear is actually the, uh, the sort of ZK technology itself. So we spent many years since the beginning of 2019, actually, in consensus, um, which Linear has kind of come out of, uh, thinking about how to build the best ZK EVM on the prover. So actually, the sort of performances that we've got and the benchmarks that we're showing are industry leading. Like this stuff is super fast, which means you can generate zero knowledge proofs. You can then generate them really fast. You can then send them to the L1 and, and settle them for really cheap. So this this ultimately means uh, low transaction costs for users. And in a sort of like multi-chain world, it means you know seamless interoperability. So that's, that's really exciting. Um, and then thirdly as well, for those that are familiar with the broader consensus product suite, you know, we have you know, MetaMask and Infura, Beisu, Truffle, like uh, Linear comes from a perspective of the holistic developer experience. So actually deeply integrated with all those other products. And, you know, we can get into the benefits of that, but ultimately thinking about not just having the best and most scalable infrastructure, but enabling the full experience of being able to, as a developer, you know, build great dApps and access, you know, mass audience. Like super quickly, what are those, I mean, I could, like, what are the tools for, for non-devs, the super high level version of like, what, what does that mean? Like what makes a developer experience easy? Obviously not having to rewrite something in Cairo or something, but other than that, what are the, yeah, what does a dev look for? You know, if you're trying to sell a dev on developing on Linea. Yeah. So I, I often, when I speak to developers, they're kind of looking for four things. So mm -hmm. they say performance. Security mm -hmm. slash like, decentralization. Mm -hmm. um, they want like mass audience as well, and they want sort of reliability. So mm -hmm. you know, on the sort of performance side, we spent so much time perfecting this prover to make sure that we have a really scalable L2 that settles proofs to Ethereum. Sure. Uh, on the sort of reliability side, we we rely on Infura. So those are familiar with Infura. Infura actually sort of manages more than half the transaction volume in crypto in Web3, yeah. mainly because yeah. it serves you know the default on MetaMask. Um, on the sort of other performance side, so we actually have Bezu. So Bezu is an execution client on Ethereum. It's very battle tested. It's been around the game for a long time. Bezu will do. Uh, um, Bezu will basically the, be the sequencer, so the sort of block builder for for Linear, and it's actually mm -hmm. super focused on being extremely performant to get that high throughput, many transactions per second as well. Yeah. And then the final piece as well. The sort of mass audience, I mean, MetaMask, right? What more do you want yeah. than a developer than having your app be distributed to millions of monthly active users? Like, that's how you find product market fit. That's how you grow your business. So that's more than just having a sort of fast L2. It's the whole experience. Mm -hmm. Cool. <clears throat> Interesting. So do you think that, so the competitive advantage for, for Linea is having uh, all, all this, you know, ecosystem of, uh, of, of products to just help with, with go-to-market? Yeah, I think, yeah, it's definitely like one piece. Obviously, there's when you're building an ecosystem, it has to be the technical, you have to have the right technical pieces. And I think we've done that with, you know, leaning on our own R&D department um, of consensus. You know, this is the same team that, you know, helped to deliver the merge, for example, or has built like many different public goods for the Ethereum ecosystem over all the years. So these people know a thing or two. Um, mm -hmm. being able to lean on them to come up with technology, but then on the ecosystem side as well, like you say, like how do you actually make sure that people can, you know, build on a blockchain and be successful? And I think we've kind of come come to it from both sides of that approach. I did. 
Um, so what's the status now? Like there, I understand that um, you guys were uh, in kind of a testing phase um, and now you're about to launch. Like where, where are you? Uh, yeah, with uh, development. Yeah. So we, like looking back, we actually spent sort of many years almost in stealth in the R&D phase, like literally since the beginning of 2019, I think we first started looking at this problem when everyone was focused on optimistic rollups. We took down the ZK path and the ZK EVM path, which was pretty counterintuitive or not with the status quo, I would say. Um, we actually then decided to, to launch a sort of closed testnet earlier this year. So January the 9th, we first sort of launched a sort of whitelisted testnet, um, ran that for, for a while with some early partners, got great feedback. On March the 28th, we opened that up to the public. And it was actually, so it was previously called Consensus EK EVM because we were just sort of like validating if this was something that made sense for the ecosystem. It was actually the great feedback that then we decided to sort of like fully commit and scale this thing up, uh, at which point we rebranded to Linear. So that's kind of where the Linear rebrand came around the end of March. And then, yeah, carried forward to uh, just on Tuesday, I believe, yeah, 11th of July, we started to onboard our first partners to the mainnet. So we had the Genesis block for mainnet. Um, we had something like 150 partners or something sign up to actually uh, begin onboarding, so deploying their dApps. And the idea is that, you know, this, this sort of ecosystem will then be ready and live for next week at EFCC when we're going to open everything up to the public. So at EFCC, we have a huge um, live stream that we're going to be doing uh, there and we're going to sort of open up to the public. We're going to have a, um, an NFT drop. It's going to be the largest NFT drop in history. We're going to have Joe on the call, Joe Lubin. It's going to be awesome. So it's... It's come really fast. I was saying like seven months, we've gone from closed testnet to, to mainnet, but there's a lot of work that went into it, into it behind it. So throughout this kind of development process and bringing the, pro, uh, the product to fruition here, those trials that you went through, were there any findings that surfaced throughout those trials that were interesting? Yeah, definitely. So we actually ran this quite interesting campaign during, during the testnet, during the trials, you could say. It was called the Linear Voyage. It was the sort of largest you know, on-chain quests, I guess, if you could call it a category. So it was almost like a nine-week um, set of activities where, you know, we would invite people to come and, like, explore different depths on the testnet and almost, like, stress test it, uh, which really helped in the development because, especially as a product person, like, I want to make sure, like, can we scale this thing? Let's push it to its boundaries so that when we get to mainnet, we're very confident that it can actually deal with, you know, different, different situations. So that was really interesting. Yeah, and we had a lot of... It was actually really interesting from a... Um, just getting people familiar with all the different use cases and dApps in the space as well. Like I think in terms of awareness for all the different partners, it was actually uh, you know really impressive for that. We saw um, uh, we saw really exciting things around account abstraction in particular. So we had uh, one week where um, one of our partners, uh, Pimlico, was did over one million user ops alone, which I think is like ten x more than any other chain right now. Yes, it's a testnet, and you know things happen on testnets, but just to stress test that infrastructure was really interesting and obviously that's only something that can be possible on a layer two as well because of the gas cost so that was really exciting i think the um overall over the nine weeks we had uh six million unique wallets submit more than 45 million transactions so hmm. it was great for stress testing um and we learned a lot from from that we also learned how valuable it is to have metamask um have your network as a default network in metamask so if you go into your MetaMask mobile or extension today, you'll see linear testnet, linear, linear mainnet. Mm. And, um, you know, for, for developers, if you're building a dApp, just by having that means you're much more likely to get access to users. 
right? Like yeah. if users go on their MetaMask and it's not there and they have to do all this configuration, you're going to lose them, like you're going to churn. So we also learned that that was like super important part of um, actually helping developers and dApps get a uh, mass audience. Definitely. Anytime you can reduce the steps that users need to take to interface with the product, it's a boon to developers. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of lose people at every step, the more friction there is. So simplifying that as much as possible. And there's, look, there's more to do in UX. Like we all know that, um, especially on the wallet side, smart contract accounts, like they're, they're coming and it's really exciting. But yeah, we're thinking about that holistically, like scalability and UX with Linear. I just wanted to ask a follow-up real quick. Uh, you mentioned the world's largest NFT drop. What's the scope of that and how are you facilitating it? Yeah, so um, again, we're partnering with another one of the sort of consensus products. So consensus NFT, uh, previously called Trium. Um, they they actually helped to deliver the, there was like the merge regenesis uh, NFT drop, which is a huge one that came out of consensus where it was sort of included in block one after, after the merge. Uh, this time we're pushing it even further. We're going to have, an NFT drop of around 350,000 NFTs, I believe, uh, on Linear. So sort of showcasing the power of, you know, scalability and L2s to do these sort of like huge um, showcases. So yeah, that will be, uh, we'll be kicking that off on, on Tuesday. Uh, we'll be airdropping it to, to the people who basically helped us participate in the Linear Voyage. So that campaign I was mentioning at 9 week Linear Voyage, you could uh, complete tasks and points and you end up on the leaderboard. And we're going to, you know, basically uh, thank everyone who helped us sort of test the network and get to mainnet by dropping for free uh, those those uh, NFTs to their accounts. And then there'll be an open mint as well for other people who participated but didn't necessarily finish high on the leaderboard um, where you just have to pay the gas cost. But you can also sort of mark the moment of a commemorative NFT. Okay. And they're really cool as well. The designs are awesome. Partnered with a great design company. So, yeah. Oh, okay. nice. Cool. And I'm, I'm curious, just like how, if you guys have had strategy conversations, what, what, how do you think about the L2 landscape as a whole? I mean, is it like, you know, cause we're heading to this point where I feel like I, I wake up and I just see there, you know, there's a new L2, not, not quite there yet, but it's like, you know, we had the layer one narrative and now it almost there's this l2 narrative so how do you like do you think about differentiation do you think it's all collaborative do you think there's going to be you know optimism is doing the super chain thing it seems like polygon is kind of trying to do that as well like how do you see all that playing out how does linea fit into that optimally or you know probabilistically yeah i think you know we the main net that we've launched is an alpha. We, we specifically gave it that title because yeah. it's, whilst it's a great milestone, there's still a lot to do. And, you know, this future that we're sort of seeing where there might be many L2s and L3s is really exciting. And I think it is probably unrealistic to expect one L2 to deal with the whole, you know, sure. execution topic of Web3. Like in the same way, in, you know, it would be ridiculous to expect one web server to deal with the whole of the web traffic. Um, yeah. So we're really focused on like, basically moving from alpha to finishing our technical roadmap. They're being completely decentralized, completely trust minimized, uh, scalable efficiency things. There's lots, lots of work still to do. That being said, you know, we are going to be open source. We are going to be available to have many instances of the linear stack. If mm -hmm. such people need to have their own um, configurations or they want to almost like mm -hmm. scale demand because the L2 is still, like, you know, increasing its own throughput. And the reason we're really well positioned, I think, for that potential future is again because of the prover so if you right. do have this almost like fragmented world where you have like many different islands 
they're going to want to talk to each other or you're going to have a user experience which is pretty unified so having an extremely fast prover like the one we have at linear called vortex um it means that you can generate proofs extremely fast you Mm -hmm. can then easily and seamlessly like talk across chain uh so that's that's possible but but also it is it is somewhat collaborative because even in our decentralization decentralization roadmap that we published on tuesday one of the final stages we're really excited about is this idea of the multi-prover Mm-hmm. And I think the multi-prover is the best way to remove training wheels for, for a layer two rollup. And basically what that is, is each transaction on the, on the L2, uh, each batch gets proven by diverse implementations of a ZK EVM, of a prover. Okay, so that okay. means that as long as you have at least a quorum of, like, uh, of proofs that are valid, mm-hmm. uh, let's say three, two of them are good, one's bad, you can still continue the rollup. It means that a bug in one doesn't isn't like a game over situation um okay so it's kind of like ethereum right we have many execution clients bezu geth never mind etc so um same principle uh so we're actually quite keen to collaborate and and have this more to prove us so the success of the other zkvms can help the success of linear okay cool thank you nice and in, in this future where you will be open source and um there will be um you know because right now, Linea is, is, is pretty centralized, right? It's being controlled by consensus. Um, and um, the, the idea would be to open this up to uh, more uh, participants in the network, uh, as I understand. So uh, for, for when this happens, um, is there the plan to you know, in, incentivize uh, participants, like namely with a, a token or as, as in some other ways? In terms of the yeah, in terms of the decentralization, like as we stated on Tuesday, that is we are hundred percent committed to that. You, you're right. Like things today are somewhat centralized. Um, there's a re- there's a reason for this. It kind of helps us to make sure the system is secure in these early stages to be able to upgrade and improve. There are training wheels. Um, the final state looks a lot different in terms of decentralization. So that's decentralizing the sequencer, which is kind of like the block builder, the prover, which is generating the proofs. Also, the governance side as well, making sure there isn't like a single bottleneck. Mm. Um, so we will we don't know yet what the designs are looking like for, for this. We're going to try and work with the community to figure out the best one. You know, I think we want to look at several different options. Um, the, the cool thing about uh, a layer to roll up like linear is, is for um, the gas token. We actually just use Ethereum or Ether. So because we inherit security, we can use ETH. So there isn't a need uh, on the native gas currency for, for, a, for a different token. So um, and we do want to actually say to our community, because we've seen a few people, you know, if you see anything about a linear token on, online, then, you know, it's, it's a scam. So uh, don't click it. We want to protect our community and users. Great. I mean, it, it, it seems like right now um, the way to, uh, to not, not to scale, but just to attract users and, and liquidity across DeFi um, and, uh, and Web3 is... Uh, to promise uh, a token uh, down the line. Um, but uh, it, it seems for, for you guys, I mean, the fact that uh, you have just like everything working right now with ETH and and no stated plans for, for a token, um, that you're, you're, you're going uh, maybe a different direction and, and try to get uh, this um, critical mass. Yeah, we, we want to provide value to our users, to our community. I think there's many different ways to do that. I think 
with Linear, we have the benefit the, of the advantage that we have the other consensus products with us. So like, um, you know, if you come and build on Linear, you get access to millions of monthly active users through MetaMask, you know, and that integration is only going to get deeper and deeper. And I think, you know, when you see the you know, leading Web3 wallet and one of the leading scalability layers come together, they sit next door in the same building, what you can achieve from a UX and scalability perspective, you know, that provides value. Um, there's other ways we can provide value and we'll always be focused on how we best provide value. So that's, that's our current focus. That's interesting. Looks like there's this kind of like, like, um, like Apple sort of uh, analogous ecosystem uh, emerging, you know, it's like everything is plugged in together and I don't know, has its own little um, or big uh, <laughs> uh, system. Um, cool. Uh, would love to hear just your, um, you know, the, the long-term vision for Linea. Is it, is, is the goal to become uh, a network for uh, all sorts of use cases? Uh, are you focusing more on a, a specific uh, industry within Web three? Like, like what's what's the, the the longer term vision for this network? Yeah, for us, we're really focusing on scaling Ethereum and unlocking new Web three use cases. We're not dogmatic about what those use cases are we want to make sure that we're sort of open to the to what you know the industry is moving towards um so specifically uh things that i'm excited about are having a sort of DeFi experience that is almost like a centralized exchange but is completely on chain <clears throat> so it's like it's almost like using sort of a coinbase or a binance but you don't have the same trust assumptions right we don't end up with an ftx situation because you're using a roll-up and users always have the ability to like withdraw their funds let's say. Yeah. And the cool thing about roll-ups, and especially what we're focusing on linear, is you can have the, in terms of like fast confirmations and throughput and all this stuff and having cheap transaction costs, especially with account abstraction, it, it will we'll be able to do that. So I'm really excited for, for that on linear. Also, you know, gaming and social as well, because they can actually use the sort of high throughput, low transaction costs as you get on linear. During the, uh, the voyage, we had this uh, social week um, and basically we had sort of a linear version of ENS and a linear version of linear of Lenster. We saw so many people using this sort of decentralized social. So it was amazing to see. Um, so yeah, we're sort of open to many use cases, but I expect, uh, DeFi gaming, social and decentralized identity as well to, to be a big one. Nice. Lots of people are thinking about decentralized exchanges. We just had two this week mm -hmm. of people trying to kind of specifically saying they're aiming for the. To, to beat out a sex-like experience. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, very interesting times. Yeah. Um, so for for users who want to start um, interacting with Linea or, uh, or or builders who want to start uh, developing their, their apps, like what's, what's the best place to start? Uh, we have a website, linea.build. Uh, I recommend heading there. It has like all the information you need and it can take you to all the places that you would need to get answers to certain questions. Um, if you're a user, uh, you can learn more about the protocol, the different dApps that are deployed on Linear. If you're a developer and you're looking to build on Linear, we have you know, a place for you where you can um, register your interest and someone from the team will get out to you. If you're interested in funding or anything like that, there's also a form you can fill out where we can help you know, provide a sort of financial and technical support to build on Linear. Um, of course, in all the places like Twitter, Discord, 
We also have a community forum. So if you're more on the sort of technical or research side or you just have some feedback, then, then drop it in there and someone from our team will get back to you and we can start an interesting discussion with the community. Awesome. Um, all right. Any other questions, Jeremy and Owen? Oh, I think I we got to keep it moving, I guess. We're, yeah, we're know. looking forward to see how these decentralized identifiers, you know, add to the value of account uh, security and allowing people to show who they are without divulging that information to the public. Mm -hmm. um, nice, Declan. Thank you so much for, for joining us. And yeah, we'll be uh, looking forward to seeing how, how Linea continues to uh, develop. And, um, and yeah, uh, excited to see how the, the biggest NFT drop in history <laughs> goes next week. Yeah. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll see you in Paris. Yes, I'll be in Paris. So awesome. See you there. All right. Cheers. Thank you. Bye. See you. Okay. Um, there we go. Uh, that was great to have um, uh, Declan on uh, for Linea. And then uh, now we have our next guest, uh, Miguel. Um, hi, Miguel. Uh, welcome. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. Um, so there's uh, Miguel Morel, uh, the founder and CEO of Arkham Intelligence, um, a data analytics company that was really in the eye of the storm this week. Um, so very brief uh, background, but then uh, Miguel will, uh, you know, tell us about uh, everything um, himself. But uh, Arkham started uh, this marketplace that uh, will allow people to uh, buy and sell uh, on-chain uh, research and data uh, about, you know, uh, cryptos and, and, and um, you know, blockchain research. Um, this marketplace called Arkham Intel Exchange has a native token, um, ARKM, uh, and this token will be used to incentivize this uh, information exchange. Um, it seems pretty, you know, benign, uh, but the crypto community really responded forcefully. Uh, there was a big backlash. Um, because it was perceived as though Arkham was um, incentivizing um, users in crypto to snitch on each other or, or to dox each other. So, you know, the, the project uh, was called uh, uh, Dox to Earn, Snitch to Earn, and it, it was this whole controversy uh, around it. So, uh, Miguel, it's great to have you here on the show to uh, respond to uh, all the questions, uh, respond to the controversy, uh, potentially uh, clear things up or, or not. Maybe, you know, this is the idea uh, of, of the program. Um, but uh, yeah, maybe we can just start by uh, maybe, you know, just like in your, uh, just like give us the, the, the breakdown of, of, of the program and how uh, you respond to this criticism. Yeah, well, thank you very much for, for having me on the show. Um, so I founded Arkham in, in 2020 with the idea to try and bring additional transparency to the cryptocurrency space um, and to try and um, actually understand more about what was going on on chain. You know, one of the things that I thought was very funny um, about crypto was that all of these assets that everybody was trading and, uh, and more importantly, investing in uh, was built on top of this. Uh, public blockchain, and it was all publicly available information. Um, and so at least in 2020, I thought it was very interesting that like the best block explorer 
um, you know, let's say something like an ether scan, you know, was still so limited in terms of the information that it provided to users and in terms of its level of complexity in understanding what sort of on-chain transactions were, were going on. Uh, and so we spent two years building the Arkham data platform, uh, which went into beta in August 2022 uh, and to date has a couple hundred thousand users um, using it where you can run searches for on-chain information and uh, entities that are making transactions uh, across cryptocurrencies. Um, and of course, as you mentioned, we launched the uh, Arkham Intel Exchange basically with the vision towards uh, decentralizing this sleuthing uh, and this on-chain analysis and this research and this labeling uh, away from the Arkham company and from the systems that we've built to do on-chain analysis and from our own uh, internal analyst team to the community. Um, but I figured that, you know, there was no way that we could do this at scale and that people would contribute all of this alpha and all of this work and all of this analysis if there wasn't a way for them to make money off of it. And so creating a marketplace for it uh, seemed like one of the best things that we could do. Um, and I think that as a whole, you know, people kind of jumped to many conclusions about what the marketplace would be used for and how the Intel Exchange would work, you know, based off of a 30 second advertisement uh, that we released on Twitter. Um, and, uh, and I think over time now, as we begin to clear up more about what's actually uh, going to be live on the Arkham Intel Exchange, and more importantly, once it actually comes online and people see the sorts of bounties that are on there, they'll realize that, you know, it's a place for trading on-chain research, it's a place for sharing alpha and getting paid for it, and more importantly, it's a place for bringing transparency and trying to prevent more scams, frauds, and uh, exploits, rug pulls uh, in a space that is so terribly plagued with that. Miguel, thank you, by the way, for joining us today. I wanted to ask, given some of the controversy uh, with the launch of this product and announcement, are there, are there things that you would change in terms of how you roll the program out now? No, absolutely not. I think that, you know, obviously we made a very big splash. Um, I think that on net big splashes are good for your company, right? Like you have more people paying attention to what you're doing. You have more people who are aware of your product. Um, that day alone, we gained, you know, tens of thousands of users. And as a whole, you know, we've been gaining over 100,000 users this week um, as a result yeah. of the, that announcement, presumably, right? And so, you know, this week alone, we gained more users than we had uh, in the entire seven months of our beta program, right? And so I think that that's a, a massive success. Um, and all of the misinformation and, uh, and things that are not clear and all of the, you know, jumping to conclusions and speculation about the negative externalities of the Arkham Intel Exchange are, are not real and we're going to clear them up. And more importantly, once it's actually live, people will see that all of those concerns, you know, are completely assuaged and there's no reason to, to, to be worried. So I, I guess like the, 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 the focus should be um, or what you're aiming the focus to be uh, on, on this information exchange is um, research uh, and information on, on, on bad actors and exploits, not just, uh, you know, giving information about random uh, blockchain users, because I think that, that's what was maybe perceived. Correct, correct. That so essentially, and and there are actually two forces um, at play for that. The first force uh, is actually you know Arkham as a whole not allowing that information to be published on on the uh, Intel Exchange and on the marketplace. Today we actually published a guideline uh, mm -hmm. on our Twitter, which which anybody can can find now. It should be at the top of our page. Um, that essentially you know dictates what will and will not be allowed 
um, on the Arkham Intel Exchange, and I can actually read it to you guys now. So the sorts of things that are allowed include publicly verifiable data, uncovering scams, hacks, and other bad behavior, identifying major players, market movement analysis, sources of alpha. The things that are not allowed are private data, personal data such as physical addresses, phone numbers, and other personal identifiable information, revenge posting, harassment, anything not rele relevant to on-chain activity, and certainly not anything unverifiable with public information. And so I think that, you know, this list is not exhaustive. We will continue to update it in accordance with, you know, what the community's feedback is and what we see as, um, as you know, what how to continue instilling safety and trust in, in the platform over time, right? We haven't even launched yet, as I mentioned. When we do launch, it'll only be a V1. Um, and uh, and over time, we're, we're going to try to do our best. But the second big force that I would mention is there's no market for this very small, you know, information about small players and, and you know, normal kind of people. What there is a market for is what large hedge funds are doing what exchanges are doing, whether an exchange is insolvent, you know, whether a large market maker is dumping tokens of a promising project. This is a thing that hundreds of thousands of people are interested in. This is the thing that when there is a big kind of controversy in the space, like for example, around the solvency as an exchange, as I mentioned before, people are going to want to dig into that and they're going to be willing to put up bounties for it. And so even from an economics perspective, you know, sometimes people say, well, you know, the company has an incentive to, you know, also dox regular users because they can make money off of it. It's not true. I honestly do. My position is nobody's going to pay for that. And even if they would, it's a relatively small sum. There's, there's no reason for us to do it. The big thing is to focus on the whales because that is where the majority of the interest from the community comes from. And therefore, that's where the economic incentives are aligned. I think there is a point to be argued, though. There are certain whales, so to speak, that are not these like high net worth individuals or family offices. They're, they're people that are attempting to maintain their privacy. And some of the criticism or contention was that these on-chain metrics, if they are aligned with somebody's identity or something along those lines, that some of these metrics could then be used to... Um, de-obfuscate somebody's privacy in a way that could be potentially malicious. How would you respond to that? I think the way I would respond to it is that, you know, while I wish that there may be a very clear cut answer, the reality is like there is with, you know, a large number of uh, technological breakthroughs that, that can happen in technology. Um, the reality is that the answer is significantly more nuanced. So to give you an example, you know, we cannot make blanket statements about, you know, the kinds of individuals that can go on versus not, um, because there are so many edge cases and so many different kinds of examples. So um, to, to, to make it very concrete, you know, um, somebody like Zach XBT, for example, right, Zach XBT, you know, has published significant amounts of analysis uh, regarding people who have done exploits or, or hacks or have fished or, you know, have made undisclosed shills on occasion, uh, actually doxing the person and stating, you know, who they are, or what project they're a part of in a way for people to be able to understand who was behind that particular kind of bad behavior and has even goes gone as far as cooperating or endorsing the fact that, you know, the government has stepped in or the police have stepped in in order to arrest a person or launched an investigation or cause them to, to be charged, right? And the community tends to applaud this kind of info, right? But then um, when another uh, one of these, you know, potential bad actors, then dog Zach XBT, then it caused an outrage, right? And I think that that's very fair. I think it's fair to, you know, go and if somebody is conducting very bad behavior and it's very much verifiable on in, in public with public information uh, to reveal who that person is in order to help protect other users. Um, but if somebody is doing good, you should not do that. And so, you know, there are situations where, you know, you need to apply some nuance and you need to think, you know, very carefully 
um, about what sort of information should be allowed on versus not. And I think most of the time it's a question of whether or not it's in the interest of, of the public and whether or not um, it's a public good to, to do so. And sometimes it's a, it can be a bit of a mixed bag. There's a question of, you know, if there's a big project um, and there's controversy about, you know, uh, that project potentially being fraudulent or people making misrepresentations or claims uh, and, you know, that is happening, say, to the project founder and the project founder holds a billion dollars in tokens, you know, there's a question like, you know, should that be revealed or not? Right. And it really just comes down to is it in the public interest? Is it, you know, a public good uh, for people to know what's going on behind that information? But is Arkham then making that determination and what puts Arkham in the position to make that determination? So we actually have a uh, decentralized governance structure, um, which can be read in the white paper, um, where as part of these very critical decisions, so say a situation where a bounty has been approved um, that seems relevant to the public, seems like a public good, um, and, uh, and, and people are very much interested in knowing, you know, who is this, you know, very large whale, and then somebody makes a submission, and it turns out, you know, it's some sort of completely normal uh, person, but there's a bunch of controversy in the space. In that situation, we would defer away from making a decision, um, you know, a, as a whole, and the Arkham Foundation would defer from making a, a, a decision and instead would make a decentralized governance proposal, you know, and then let the community vote on whether or not it makes sense to reveal the identity of that whale, um, given the activity that's actually going on, right? And so at that point, it's out of our hands and it's up to the crypto community as a whole to make a decision about whether or not it's in the public interest for that information to be revealed, especially given that, uh, as I mentioned before, given the guidelines, all of the information would come from only publicly available sources that one could independently verify, assuming that it's not being done, for example, for harassment purposes, but rather there's a real reason why that bounty was, was posted in the first place. But isn't so, so it... Is... Oh, go, oh ahead. go ahead, Jeremy. Well, isn't it true, though, that somebody might be able to make all that information publicly available. And then after the fact, it could be utilized in a malicious way. And it's a good question a that, that we're, that you're, that you're enabling that type of behavior. Uh, by creating I, this I, again, yes. I think that there's a lot of nuance. I think that there's a lot of edge cases, you know, I can't write up in a document, every single possible source of information. I can't write in a document, every kind of edge case that could plausibly exist. Um, regarding uh, where these, these pieces of information come from, it'll be assessed on a case-by-case -case basis. I think in a situation where you just mentioned, you know, the bounty goes up, then somebody like doxes the person elsewhere on the internet and then tries to find a loophole of, you know, well, now it's public because I doxed it elsewhere on the internet. I think that's a situation where one could reasonably look at that and say, look, this wasn't truly public information. Somebody took private information and then made it public in order to try to make the submission. Therefore, we're not going to let it go through. This looks more like blackmail and harassment than somebody actually doing on-chain analytics and analysis. Well, I worry that perhaps some of the, and again, this is the criticism, not necessarily from me, but some of the, some of the, some of the perception is that perhaps this program will facilitate some of that activity. Uh, and, and so I, I would wonder again, like, is this the type of thing that you might look at changing in the future uh, before rolling it out? Or is it something that you're committed to? Well, well, I, I can't. Well, first of all, we're, we're definitely launching it. Right. And I think that it's very good for the community. And I think it's very much a mixed bag, whether or not people think it's super positive or whether or not they, they criticize it. Right. There are many people in my DMs who maybe don't want to speak publicly or, you know, they find it embarrassing to say that they've been 
hacked. They've been exploited. They've been defrauded by bad actors, by shillers, by, you know, influencers in the space who didn't disclose stuff. And then they lost their life savings. And they're saying, thank you. Thank you for building this. Thank you for building something that will finally cause uh, other people to expose all of the negative activity and all of the fraud that is happening in, in this space, right? And that's the reason why we're doing this in the first place. I, I don't want to come on and claim that my product may not have negative externalities. That's not what I'm going to do. I think any breakthrough technology, you know, many people criticize it for potentially having negative uh, externalities, right? I think a bunch of like computer generated like AI videos, for example, are the kind of things where people said, well, now everybody's going to make deep fakes. What if somebody like goes out and then makes a deep fake of a president launching like a nuclear bomb or something and it's not real and then people panic uh, and then it causes like this massive disturbance in the market or, you know, these are things with negative externality chat yeah. gpt another one where people were saying okay well how am i supposed to know now that you can create very human-like content uh at scale and post it on the internet how do i know what's misinformation disinformation from an ai versus real human content what if all the content on the internet like 99 percent of it now becomes computer generated because the ais can just write you know enormous amounts of content without human beings what if it you know makes everybody unemployed right like these are very important questions that you know require nuance and require somebody thinking thinking them through and adding trust and safety guidelines um, for how their technology can be used and how it cannot be used. I think those companies have all done great jobs at that, seeing as JetGPT hasn't destroyed the world yet. Um, and I think that the Arkham Intel Exchange will be very similar. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we're all here in crypto. We're all proponents of new tech. Uh, we think uh, new tech is net positive uh, for the world. And um, obviously, you know, bringing transparency around um, blockchain data uh, and especially around uh, bad actors and exploits uh, is a net positive. Um, so I think it's interesting what you were saying that these bounties will be uh, put up to decentralized governance when, when uh, there's a dispute. Um, uh, maybe there, there needs to be a buffer between the time that the bounty is posted and the time that it actually gets approved to allow for community discussion. Um, uh, but I know that you have a, a hard stop and we haven't talked about uh, the uh, Arkham token, which I think, you know, our, our listeners will be interested in. Um, what's what's the latest on, on that? Like there uh, you, you announced the, an, an airdrop, like what's uh, what are the, the steps for, for, for those interested? So um, one one quick note, there is th a 30 day buffer. Um, between you know submissions and uh, and when they can actually go live, so the the bounties actually have a timer uh, on them, and people can make submissions during that time, uh, and that's also the amount of time until um, you know the submission can can actually go live if it's been uh, verified. Regarding the airdrop, you know people can go on uh, ArkhamIntelligence.com uh, and using their Arkham account, they can actually make a make a claim uh, in order to become part of that uh, decentralized governance community. Uh, within it and then also additionally you know they're able to use it in order to post bounties for on-chain information on the arkham intel exchange so i look forward to seeing our community grow over time great miguel really appreciate you you coming on to to clear up uh, all, all the questions uh, about this program like i said i think uh, everyone will uh, benefit from transparency um and i think if this bounty program is uh, is used the, the way you said with these buffers with community discussion um, and the, these kind of guardrails uh, around just like doxing regular uh, blockchain users, um, I think it, it, it can be uh, really, you know, net positive for the space. So uh, thanks again uh, for coming on.
Thank you very much. See you. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, that was super interesting. What did you guys think? Well, you know, uh, it remains to be seen how this product will be used. Uh, it mm -hmm. certainly is a double-bladed sword. Uh, yeah. And, uh, but it does appear that Miguel has um, spoken in terms of uh, trying to ensure, you know, knowledge is out there. This is not built to dox people. It is yeah. not built to make private information such as addresses and things like that available. And furthermore, there is an internal, uh, you know, decentralized governance process, which is built around ensuring that the bounties that are put through the system are not malicious. So with those tools in place, perhaps some of the fears that have kind of circled the news of this uh new intelligence platform coming out will be swashed. Yeah, I mean, you know, like uh, SAGXPT and um, other researchers uh, have been doing this for free. So mm -hmm. I think if, if there's like a system, a marketplace that incentivizes more of these uh, researchers and, um, uh, you know, blockchain detectives, uh, you know, maybe it, it's a good thing and, uh, and it makes sense. So we shall yeah. see. Hi, All right. Parent data is a good thing. It is definitely yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, so that's uh, the end of our uh, weekly recap. Uh, this was um, an interesting one uh, with a, a bit of news uh, and, and two different guests. I uh, hope uh, you all enjoyed this and that you can all join us uh, next week for another episode. Thanks again. We'll see you there. Yeah. See you guys. Bye.